Hey everybody, we are the artists formerly known as Bullet Time, now redubbed Bloodbath and Beyond. I'm Casey Mitchum. And this is Burton Cody. And we are Instruments of Evil today because we are talking about Lamberto Bava's 1985 Italian horror classic, Demons. Yes, we are here to turn your churches into cemeteries. So, so Demons is a... It's a pretty strange movie. It's... It's not, no way. yeah, it's not one that has much of a plot to it. Um, it never was intended to have a plot to it, but we all kind of love it for it. And the director freely admits that he really never planned a plot. It is, it is maybe the most gore for gore's sake movie since the heyday of Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yes, uh, it, it, it's like a haunted house movie. It's like you really are walking through a haunted house. You just kind of walk through. There's some scary stuff, some bloody stuff. And it's all for good fun. There's um, always something jumping out at you, and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to have any established continuity to any scene before it. It's just oh, suddenly Jason's there, you know. Yes. Um, it is a movie that is very much Evil Dead kind of inspired, and it has even less of a plot than the original Sam Raimi Evil Dead. Uh, it's. But it- it wears its Italian influences on its sleeve. I mean, it's... Oh, it's extremely European and Italian, especially, in more ways than one. So I guess we start by talking about Lamberto Bava. Um, and for the sake of this podcast, we are going to just refer to him as Bava. He is the son of the legendary Mario Bava. Uh, the great for... Mario Bava. Yes, but for differentiation purposes, when we say Bava, we just mean Lamberto on this one. Yes, I I think Mario had died by then, or he had retired. Um, he he'd seen Lamberto's movie prior to this one, and said that he could die happy knowing that his son was going to carry on his legacy of horror movies. That's kind of sweet, uh, actually. Yeah, and so, but he did. He I don't think he lived to see this one. Well, that's a shame, because it's a good one, uh, and it is the one that Lamberto does say is his personal favorite of the films he directed. Um, he never really made too many other horror movies after this. He kind of just some t- did some TV work, and he's really he slowed did, down. He did a couple Demon sequels, right? Um, I think he only directed one more that was made probably just a few months after this was made, because I think this made a pretty penny, and it's a very low-budget film. Sure. Um, but I think it's a great use of the budget. Uh, it's got a great tone to it. It's got great atmosphere. And uh, and for Bava, I mean, this is a guy who started out by being an assistant director to Dario Argento. Uh, he was also an assistant director on Cannibal Holocaust. So the pedigree is clearly there for yes. who his influences are going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dario Argento is one of the co-writers of the probably very just thin and gory screenplay they wrote for this thing. This does have four screenwriters attached to it, and, and including uh, Dario and uh, Lamberto. And uh, Dardano Scacchetti and Franco Farini. Uh, apologies if we really butcher these Italian names, by the way. As we said before, we're not linguists. We're just enthusiasts. Yes. So we, we, we'll give as much respect as we can to the Italian and just re- European creators of this film. Absolutely. So uh, let, let's give a little kind of synopsis. Sure. Um, if you can we, give <laughs> we'll, do our, we'll do our best. Uh, 
we start with Cheryl, who is a good girl because she carries Bartok sheet music around, and she is she is given a flyer by a mysterious man with half a metal face. I know, uh, who happens to be another director, mm-hmm. played by Michaela Sawavi, who's also the assistant director on this film, and uh, I think he was on another Bava and Argento picture. And he goes on to do one of your favorites. Uh, that would be Della Morte, Della Morte, uh, known as Cemetery Man over here in the States. That is for another episode, but I do sure. love that movie. <laughs> based on a, based on the Italian Dylan Dog comic books. Uh, it's not necessarily. It, it's based on a novel written by the author of those comics. Oh, I, and I, I, I think the character of Francesco Della Morte, or Della Morte is um, in Dylan Dog comic books. Unfortunately, most of those aren't translated into English, and I do not read Italian or Spanish. <laughs> I think those are what it's most widely printed in. There's a whole world of European comics that never make it over here. Uh, it's kind of sad, because Dylan Dog, the few that are translated and uh, sent over to this country are really great, great horror comics. But anyways, demons. Anyways. Yeah, so she gets uh, she gets this flyer from Michaela Soavi, who is... Just a mysterious man with a half Terminator esque metal face. It's kind of badass looking. It's it is. It is. It why would you really... trust that man? <laughs> well, initially she doesn't. She tries to run in terror from him, and he just happens to have the flyer for Metropole Theater. Yeah, yeah. The movie opens up with a shot of her just kind of on the subway, and we do see like his face flashing by, and it's kind of freaky for obvious reasons. So she, of course, encourages her friend Kathy to come with her to this theater. And they kind of go, they're both going, I hope it's not a horror movie. I hate horror movies. Those are awful. Says Kathy, yeah. <laughs> and so, and, you know, we, we pretty much don't pussyfoot around. We go right to the theater after that. Yeah, uh, immediately. This movie just does not mess around. Um, it's a pretty short film. It's like, what, 82 minutes or something? But it spends most of those 82 minutes well. Almost almost all of that runtime is spent on demons. So you've, you're getting what you pay for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we go right to the theater, and not much makes sense. Because right in the middle of the theater lobby is a mannequin on top of a motorcycle holding a samurai sword really high in the air and a bizarre metal mask that's just kind of dangling. And that's a perfect metaphor for the movie you're getting. There's not much explanation to anything of why something's there. It just seems arbitrary, but it's pretty damn cool. It's just there because Bava wanted it to be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have listened to the commentary on the Anchor Bay DVD, and certain things, like uh, the interviewer on the commentary asks him, like, why is this here? And Bava just kind of shrugs each time, like, I do not remember. So he probably <laughs> was, didn't was, have an intention to begin with. There was some thought process that probably went on in the day of the shoot, and it's just been lost to time. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, we we are in this lobby with this mysterious metal mask <laughs> carrying mannequin, and of course... A pimp and one of his two prostitutes pass by, and one of the prostitutes has to stick the metal mask on her face for a cheap joke, and immediately cuts herself. Yes. Uh, the pimp is played by Bobby Rhodes. Is uh, He has a very active YouTube channel, actually. Really? Um, yes. Uh, 
it's mostly him going to horror conventions about this film because he loves being a part of demons. He's kind of one of the most popular characters is Tony the Pimp. So much so that he's in Demons 2 as another character. <laughs> yes. One of the very few. Um, we also have uh, Fiore Argento, who's the eldest daughter of Dario Argento. Um, she doesn't have that many lines, and she plays kind of this uh, teenage uh, girlfriend of another character who sits in a theater and makes out with some guy. Um, so I, I want to bring up two real quick. That during these scenes in the in the theater, we don't really see anybody working at this place. We we see uh, Ingrid the usherette, who I had assumed when I started watching was one of the demons, but is later just another victim. And as far as we know, that is the only person that works in this movie theater. Yes, uh, I do recall in the commentary, everyone asking Bava, "Is, is she one of the demons?" <laughs> he he doesn't know. <laughs> She seems, I think because she has red hair, she is quite literally the red herring. Yes. Because she's kind of mean-mugging everybody, and she seems like she's in on it, but no, she's just... Once the demons come out, she is just the fodder like the rest of them. She's just as freaked out as everyone else. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. We are. <laughs> um, well, and so we, we you know, cut to the theater, and they're watching this movie, and this movie happens to have... This plot about Nostradamus's tomb and four teenagers that are looking for looking for Nostradamus's grave, and they're gonna they're gonna grave rob it and find that same mysterious metal mask that the mannequin is holding outside in the lobby. Yeah, it's a little dirtier, and um, a character also played by Michaela Sawabi puts the mask to his face. That's and, great. And then there's like a nerd kind of in the movie. This is a movie within a movie. Um, is it that important to the story? Uh, more or less, um, the, the story that's there. And he tells him not to put the mask on, the nerd character. And he says, whoever puts that on becomes a demon. <laughs> and so that reminds uh, Prostitute One that she put the mask on earlier and cut her face, just like the guy in the movie. She does not make that connection until he cut his cheek, too. No. Uh, she's played by Goretta Goretta. Uh, she's an American actress. Uh, yes. At least she was said. At least they said so in the commentary. Uh, she just kind of freaks out a little bit, and then she goes right to the bathroom, and she goes kind of through this horrible transformation. And uh, this is where this, we see the first special effects in the movie. This introduces sort of the demon's initial transformation MO, where just a festering boil pops up on your neck and then bursts with green or yellow fluid. Yeah, that, uh, the effects in the movie were meant to be real comic booky. The director said he wanted them to be a little tongue-in-cheek. That's why he gives, like, kind of green goo popping out, because it's a little silly-looking. But that's, that's the desired effect, you know, and it works. Sure. It can't be too serious with a movie like this. Yeah, and I mean, it, the point the point of any of this is just to get to the next kill scene. It's not nobody's coming to this for really any other reason. No, um in the movie the filmmakers know that like I said it's it's a haunted house movie. You know, you go in, you get spooked out, you have a good time. So, we immediately cut to um the other prostitute looking for 
her friend that had run off into the bathroom. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then kicks in like this great sort of like synthesizer synthesizer music, and she gets chased by the other prostitute, who's now a fully fleshed out demon with claws, fangs, you know, crazy eyes and veins popping out. Weird colored skin. Yeah, like drooling his... green goo. And she gives her, like, this big, horrible-looking gash across her neck. And yes. she, like, runs away. And next thing you know, she's, like, right behind the movie projection. And she goes through her own transformation. Her neck starts, like, bulging. That's a very Argento-ish sequence, too. I mean, when she's walking down that hallway to get to the movie projection that has those billowing Suspira-style curtains that Argento loves, those, like, long, craning hallway shots. Well, well, they did say in the commentary that Argento would pop up on set, and he would kind of set-dress things the way he would, you know? That's that's a very clear sequence where that happened then. Yeah, uh, the lighting, kind of those blue, very sharp lights, um... That you see in uh, Italian movies made by Argento. It's very him. Like you see one Argento, and you get that style every time. He's very consistent. Uh, but as you were saying, uh, yeah. So I mean, she is she is festering too, and she's standing right behind the movie screen. Yeah, and and by this time, everyone knows it's a horror movie. <laughs> There's somebody getting horribly stabbed. They're screaming in the movie because the other character's a demon in the in the film. Everyone's watching, and no one really seems to be loving it that much. Well, there's a there's a blind man vicariously trying to live through his daughter to see this movie. Liz, is it a scary movie? Are you afraid, Liz? What's happening, Liz? To to a Bava, this was just hilarious because he just keeps laughing in the commentary like <laughs> a blind guy at the movies. It's a funny. <laughs> he's taking such delight in that a disabled person can't enjoy this horror movie <laughs> for Baba, this is the height of comedy <laughs> uh my favorite is like this kind of older middle-aged couple it's their anniversary and every time the wife tries to speak up the husband just goes shut up <laughs> shut up ruth or whatever her name is <laughs> we're watching this movie and it, well, and just just for the setup purposes too, we've also established these two really dorky looking guys, They're, George and Ken, who are painfully European. Like I, I think America, as Americans, we're watching this movie. We see the way they are dressed. Uh, they, it looks a little silly. They both have like sweaters tied around their. Uh, shoulders. And they're not the only characters in the theater that have that sweater tied around the shoulder look. Like, there are other people sitting there. I know, they're, they're like kind of pretty boys, and... Like, no one no one at this theater is underdressed. Everyone is at least wearing a polo shirt. Yeah. No t-shirts. This ain't America. And uh, they are hitting on Cheryl and her friend, uh, Kathy. And they kind of sit together, and uh, George is kind of our main guy. With Cheryl, yes, they develop a little crush, but that's well. That's they they develop the that crush goes. that in that every woman in this theater can cannot irresistibly clings to whatever man is near her. Yeah, that kind of does happen. I mean, the pimp, <laughs> uh, the blind girl. I mean, uh, the blind man and his daughter. His daughter ends up having sex with just some a balding fellow, that guzzy-looking dude. <laughs> 
like right next to uh, the blind man. Liz, what's happening? Why aren't you talking to me, Liz? Um, but we so, do have uh, Rosemary is the other prostitute who's been slashed by uh, what's? No, Rosemary is the first deadite or demon. Uh, I think the other one's name was Carmen. Carmen, yeah, Carmen. Yeah, so Carmen is standing behind the, the screen. Rosemary is still stalking her because she hasn't made the full demon transformation yet. Yeah. And uh, Rosemary does, like, I mean, uh, sorry, Carmen falls through the screen. It freaks everybody out in the theater, and they all go over to help her. And this leads to some of the best gore effects in the film. We oh, get, my goodness. We're, we're treated to this excellent uh, transformation sequence. Done yes. With, uh, Great editing and kind of some mechanical effects. They use like a life-size puppet for certain shots, and you can't really tell. It's some genuinely horrific stuff, too. I mean, there there are things that people will tolerate in a transformation sequence, and there are things that just make most people squirm, and that is when things happen to fingernails and to teeth. And both of those happen right here. It's, it's like um, uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly, but a little worse in regards to those. <laughs> Like, like, these spiky nails just split right through the top fingernails, and the teeth, you, they open the mouth, and the teeth just fall out as these, like, fangs, fangs yeah. come in. But they but they don't they don't just turn to fangs. Those teeth fall out. <clears throat> yeah, they, they pop out, and the teeth fall. The real human teeth fall out. It's gross. And there's some, there's, I think there's visible cavities in those teeth, too. Like, it's pretty they, realistic they looking. They did a really good, it, it looks straight up real. Um... If you could imagine a real demon <laughs> with fangs emerging. And uh, one of my favorite things I, I love are just like kind of the sound the demons have. It's like this, uh, it's like a lo-fi kind of grumble. And it's not human. I love it. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful noise. I can't do it. And even the women demons have the same sound. It, it's not like on a show like Walking Dead where everyone does like a really awful sounding hiss. I, I hate that shit. I it's, it's just a guttural, visceral roar. Yeah, it, it sounds great. Uh, and it's scary. And, uh, and at this point, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, this is where the movie kind of just explodes and really never really lets up. There's very few lulls after this. Because with Carmen, we establish... The all the only thing that the demons have to do to turn you to them is something as inconsequential as a scratch. Yeah, this is very much a zombie film, without them being zombies. Bava said he really wanted to do a, a zombie movie, and that's kind of why they made this in the first place. But he didn't want them to be like all the zombies we had seen before. He wanted them to run fast. But this did come out the same year as uh, the original Running Zombies movie, Return of the Living Dead. Absolutely, one of my personal favorites. So I, I, I just think that it's just a kind of a coincidence. This movie has running infectious ghouls in it. Although, to be fair, they behave a lot less like zombies and a lot more like deadites. Yeah, they're not there to eat people. They're not completely mindless. Like, they can use tools. They have a little bit of reasoning. <laughs> they're, it's You can't call it maybe zombie horror. You could call it infection horror. Because they can infect you and turn you into one of them so easily, and they're just they're just malicious and want to spread their numbers. Yeah, um, your what your churches will be cemeteries. 
Or it's, it's something like that, that the guy in the movie reads what the demons will do to you from the Nostradamus scroll. Can we talk about that for a second? Because it it seems like the movie they're watching, as badly acted as it is, is almost a documentary. Yeah, it could be. That's kind of a great uh, theory. It could be like a found footage thing. Way before found footage. Well, I mean cannibal holocaust but maybe just bava wasn't like capable of doing that kind of story that kind of filmmaking yeah i i think it's kind of clever actually um because the guy that puts on the demon mask is metal face man on the subway like maybe he became half demon face and he's there to (laughs) have this kind of complicated uh scenario to get people to go become a demon (laughs) And as far as we know, Metal Face Man is the only, like, human-ish character that's involved in this demon scheme. Yeah. Because as the characters try to escape the Metropole, everything is locked. The, the doors are... There's an improbable wall in front of all the doors. Yeah, uh, yeah once the, the first demon uh, that they see, Carmen, pops up, everyone, of course, tries to leave. And there's all the walls are bricked up. And, uh, oh yeah, the movie does have a great metal soundtrack. It's like Saxon, Ex- Except, uh, Scorpions, Billy there's Idol. Some Rick, there's some Rick Springfield in there. Yeah, they have Rick Springfield. I wouldn't call Rick Springfield metal, though. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the one you're like, I don't know about that, but definitely But he, he's specifically mentioned in the opening credits. So. Yeah, he's the first one they list, like, uh, other music by, and it has Rick Springfield, and then a bunch of metal bands. 1985 was the year of Springfield. Yeah, well, to the movie's defense, they do have just his song. It's diegetic music. That means it's played, you know, in the movie and the characters can hear it. It's on the radio. <laughs> oh, well, so yeah, I mean, we, we can't escape the theater. There's just no way out. They're, they're, they keep talking, like, maybe if we run to the exit, but everything is blocked off. There's no There's no way out. It's just them and the demons. They've clearly been put there just to deal with it and they of course you know run to the projection booth to see if anybody's up there and it's the the, the revelation that the movie is running itself yeah oh this is not before we get an extremely argento-ish scene of a man it's the the scuzzy guy uh having sex with uh the blind man's daughter right they both get murdered by um the rosemary ghoul uh, rosemary demon and he kind of falls, and he like gets hung. That's so. Yeah, the, that's she so hangs them though. both. She hangs them both while they're making out, and it's really uncomfortable to watch them sort of open mouth gasp for air within inches of each other's faces. Yeah, and for some reason they start just bleeding for no because of because it's, <laughs> Cause it's maybe it's Argento directed that scene because the guy just fall, it's like the opening of Suspiria, if anyone's seen that. People just people just bleed when these things happen. Yeah, they just guy gets hung. So they're so they're thrown over the the guy is thrown over the balcony and he just hangs and that's that's another catalyst of the crowd going holy shit we have to get out of here yeah um <laughs> as yeah from here on out it is it's like wall to wall terror throats are ripped open <laughs> uh. The character gets fingers jammed into his eye sockets. The blind man gets fingers jammed into his eye sockets to make his eyes even more useless. And then the monster laughs and walks away. The monster <laughs> just thinks it's hilarious, I guess. 
Was that Lamberto Bava inserting himself into the movie? <laughs> I just mean his sensibilities of thinking it's so funny to have a blind man in the theater, and I'm sure Bava laughed to himself at AF shooting going, now a blind man can't see, and he's still in the theater. <laughs> and now his head fingers jumped into his useless eyes. If they cure blindness, he's no longer a candidate. That's such a great creepy effect, because it's, it's not done with editing at all. You just see the fingers, boop, in the face. And, and to be to just set this up for people who haven't seen it, the demons in this movie are are part of that 1980s zombie movie school of if they touch you, your whole skin is Play-Doh. <laughs> they can just rip into you so easily. Uh, Day of the like, Dead, which also came out in 1985. <laughs> Everyone's so soft and malleable to these rotting corpses. They just kind of stick their fingers and through your stomach like if there's if their if their fingers touch your skin it's gonna go through the skin at least in demons you know we have these really sharp claws and teeth but it's, oh, it's yeah. still like they can touch you with their palm and your face is already putty there's that great effect of uh one of the demons putting its fingers into a man's throat and just tearing the flesh it's oh man it's so graphic and it's they focus on it for so long too they make it very painful to look at you're like oh god and uh i mean that's that's our chain of events and uh we cut to a a group of punks who've just stolen a car yeah the movie kind of keeps cutting back and forth to these kind of punk rock characters and each one of them has a ridiculous name Oh, I love punks on film, and these are maybe the silliest punk names I've ever encountered. Uh, let's see if we can remember. Uh, the leader is named Ripper. Which is a pretty standard punk hey, name. Yeah, I can buy it. Uh, there's, there's a there's a girl there's a, named Nina. Yeah, with her weird Thundercats-style <laughs> haircut. Who looks disturbingly young. But then we get to the we get to the best names. Which are which? Which are two badass wannabe male punks named Baby Pig and Hot Dog. Hot Dog. <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous. It, this is like Bava and Argento. Like, what is a what would the American punks go by? Hot Dog. Baby Pig. Baby Pig. So we have Baby Pig and Hot Dog and Nina and Ripper. They're riding around listening to Billy Idol, uh, snorting Rick Springfield, <laughs> punk favorite Rick Springfield, uh, and they're snorting cocaine through a straw from a Coca-Cola can. Yeah, and the movie keeps cutting back and forth to them, and they're driving around. And now this film was shot in Rome and Berlin. I think all of the mo- stuff inside the movie theater, which is, you know, 85% of the movie, is in Rome. And, that, it's, and I, I believe the theater's a bank now. Uh, yeah. Um, the exterior of the theater is in Berlin. And you can tell all of the exterior shots are in Berlin because it's way too clean looking to be Rome. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to Rome, but from what I understand, friends who've gone there, it's, a, it's kind of a dirty town. So hope no offense to any of our Italian listeners if yeah, we we'll ever have any. If you are from Rome, please send us an invite. We'll come and give your give your town a glowing endorsement. Yes, but I know it's not as clean as Berlin. It can't be. 
But uh, I, I want to bring up the punks again because this leads, this cocaine snorting leads to, in my opinion, the most uncomfortable scene in the whole movie. The razor blade and in the breast. Yeah, it, and not even what you guys are thinking when we say razor blade to breast. They, for whatever reason, they have spilled their can of cocaine. Yeah, that they're snorting through a straw in an actual Coke can. And Baby Pig sees some of the cocaine land on Nina's breast. Nina's possibly underage, not even Bava is sure. They, they, no one on the commentary is really sure, and they can't even remember if she's German or Italian or not. <laughs> she might be a little young. I'm not sure. And but... <sighs> Let's not he... dwell on this too long. No, but I wanna. I just have to bring it up. He pulls out a razor blade and lines up the cocaine on her breast and snorts it. It, it, it is just, and there's way too much like lingeringness between like the razor blade and the nipple that it's just really uncomfortable. Yeah, he's like kind of rubbing it up and down her breast and her nipple, and it's supposed to be sexy, but it's totally not. And according to the commentary, the actor wasn't even comfortable doing it. Yeah, he's <laughs> he like, this is a little weird. <laughs> I'm but sure I mean, he thought that. That's showbiz. <laughs> that's Bava. Maybe Bava had a great experience with a woman in a razor blade. Oh, God, I don't even want to know. I don't want to know either. <laughs> but so we, uh, you know, but mainly these these punks are not really there for any apparent reason for a while. They're just kind of driving around. They're really to get into the theater and uh, they get found out by some cops, and the cops chase them on foot out of their car. Because and, they've stolen that car. And, and then they run into the theater. Uh, and then one of the demons runs out. The uh, the blind man. The blind man is now a demon. Yes. And But a blind demon, which Bava also could not get over himself. That, that was pretty funny to him, too. And he's and you know and he's taken down, but not before he scratches one of the cops. Yes. Yeah, so now the demons are on the outside, and this is the last time we'll see the outside world for a while. Yeah. And the rest of the action really is contained inside of the theater. Um, Tony the pimp, played by and Bobby that, Rhodes. That, it should be said that door magically opens because everyone in the movie had been running around at that point to try to get the hell out of the theater, and Bava said, "I don't really know how they got in." Well, it just it, the door the door just pops itself open like it's inviting more people in to be converted, and then it shuts behind them. You know, I can buy that the demons possess the theater somehow, and they can brick up the place at will. And so maybe okay. they like they saw the chance to have a demon pop uh, break out and let in more victims. Gotcha. Well, t- tell us about Tony the Pimp. Tony the Pimp is played by Bobby Rose, as I mentioned earlier, and he is one of the best characters in the movie. Everyone <laughs> loves him. He's, he's so memorable. Uh, the actor who played him could not speak English. Uh, most of the actors couldn't. This is a film, like, uh, I think in the in the vein of a lot of the spaghetti westerns. Uh, well, they'll have actors kind of mouthing English, and then it's dubbed later on by English-speaking actors. Sometimes poorly. Sometimes very poorly. <laughs> uh, especially in the, in the case of Baby Pig and Hot Dog. <laughs> Where they're trying to talk tough, like, that's real tough talk, uh, Ripper. That's some Rambo talk, baby. Oh, yeah, you gotta throw the Rambo reference in uh, in 1980. Oh, God. But, uh, Tony, he gets results. 
and he knows not to fuck around. <laughs> Tony has a knife. Tony has, a, he's got that switchblade. He knows, he picks up right away that, all right, we've got some kind of ghouls on our hand. And if they touch you in some way, we're probably going to turn into a ghoul too. So he's the one who's like, we got to get rid of these bodies, the dead bodies, because they could turn into demons. He puts it right together immediately that his prostitutes have turned into demons. He is he is 100% okay with this. <laughs> he's like, he's the character in horror films who, you know, figures it out way too fast. Actually, most horror films, they don't figure things out that quickly. But he is just ready. He's like, hey, it's just like the goddamn movie. Let's go just throw these guys. Because by now they have failed to escape. They've, they've, they've broke down one wall and just found an empty brick room. Some, some characters tried to climb through ventilation shafts. And, there was, and, and of course, one of the characters in the ventilation shaft that was cl- trying to escape happened to be a demon. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, so by now, they have just thrown a bunch of chairs up on the balcony. And they're staying up there, and Tony has decided, I'm just going to throw this, bo- this scratched body over the ledge to keep her from getting to us. Yeah, but let's not forget there was a guy, it was the scuzzy-looking dude, who was thrown over the edge, hung. It was attacked by uh, demon number one, Rosemary. Yes. And I-, I love that sequence. Yeah, oh yeah, and then the demons use him and the rope to climb up. And attack uh, Tony, and unfortunately Tony doesn't quite make it. And the hung man climbs up his own noose to grab somebody like a spider and throw himself back over the ledge so he can eat them while he's hanging. Yeah, and yeah, this is uh, the demon that Tony wanted to throw over the edge, or the dead woman, which was Liz. He said she couldn't turn into a demon, and what do you know if she turns into a demon? That's right. (laughs) After the... It's like, you should have listened to Tony. This is the point where I should say that beyond that initial Carmen transformation sequence in front of the movie screen, after this, demon transformations happen very quickly. Yeah, they're not like, they don't go through like the painful, excruciating details, and it doesn't take a few minutes like it used to. It's almost instant. All it takes from now on is if anybody has their the back of their head to the camera... They're going to turn around like the end of the thriller video and be a demon. But it's fine, you know. Absolutely. We're, we're, again, we don't need to see it over and over. It's, 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 a, li- it's a small budget movie. They have, uh, it's like a million dollar budget. Yeah. And even in those days, what, what would that be now? Like 10 million? <laughs> if that? 5 million? If that. Yeah, it's, it's not enough to really make a big budget picture. Yeah, and... It does an impressive... It uses its budget well, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the theater, you get a pretty good sense of the theater's geography. It, it's slightly disorienting, but... Um, it's, it's very large on the yeah, inside. It's not quite like The Shining, where it's deliberately disorienting. Where you have, like, the, the Overlook Hotel, and it's a hotel where the uh, where you move around in it. It's supposed to not make sense. Um, but we... We go through a few more carnage sequences until we're just kind of down to... A handful of people, yeah. Yeah. And our punks, they all get slaughtered. Yeah, they, they, they run inside, you know, they they immediately see the demons. Ripper just yells, see you guys in hell, and leaves them leaves his friends behind. I think by this time he's armed himself with, like, a meat hook or something. Uh... <laughs> There's there's that one great effect. Speaking of random gore effects, uh, there's a woman who gets like 
her finger, or no, uh, one of the ghouls digs her nails into her scalp and kind of pulls it back. And, like, it, it's so painful, but it's such a great effect. Uh, we, yeah, it's <laughs> it's just fantastic. I know we sound like uh, psychopaths talking about gore effects. Like, oh, that's a great effect. But, you know, this movie's a really good showcase of inventive effects. And if you're listening to an action-slash-horror movie podcast, chances are you feel the same way. Yeah. Um, we're not trying to say, oh, people who enjoy these films probably psychos. Uh, no, absolutely it, not. I enjoy these films way too much. Yeah, you know, it, it's fake violence. It's fun. That's right. It, it's a spook house. Um, yes. It's it's like a magic trick. You're, and this applies to all the best horror films, or at least the gory ones, where um, you can be terrified or grossed out, but you're in a safe environment. It's like a magic trick. You just mm-hmm. you get yourself caught up in the moment of it. Absolutely. And, and so now I guess we're I guess we should say like we're kind of down to the two couples. Yeah, uh, George Cheryl. Ken and Kathy. Yes. Ken and Ken was poor Ken. He he just looks like this guy that just couldn't hurt anybody. He's so skinny. He looks like Denny from the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> Oh man. And uh by this time uh Kathy starts to turn into a demon herself. And Ken this... yeah, Ken's one that takes charge and kind of beats her to death. He beats her to death with a vent cover. Yeah, and here and this is a great what the fuck moment because there's a few of these in this movie. Because this is the really the first time we've seen a demon actually like killed, I suppose. Uh, we'd seen a couple. Okay. Well, let me think. Have they actually killed any demons at this point, or just run away? I think they've just been running away the whole time. Like they've been trying to do stuff, but like he he just nails her. He beats her. Uh, kind of with like her... the sharp corner yeah it dents a little bit and she lays there and man this is the other grotesque horrific sequence yeah like her she kind of gets on all fours the demon woman and her back starts to like bulge like a giant boil on her back but and it just kind of explodes and there's blood and everything and then a demon like it's like one of those impossible perspective or shot things and you just see like a head and two hands pop up like a demon's climbing out of her like her insides were a ladder or something yeah it's just... it's emerging like a cocoon <laughs> it's yeah but it's not popping out like he's like like it's like it fit into her, her skin yeah, yeah it's, it's like just... her back is like a portal or something like that invisible staircase trick some people do yeah it's Kind of a nifty idea. It makes no sense. I really think it's just something the filmmakers just had on a whim. Like, what if a demon just popped out? Because it never happens again in the movie either. It like, never happens just... before or after, yeah. It's like, at first I was going, well, maybe if it's... Well, it can't be because you've, you've been a demon for a long time. Kathy just turned into one about 30 seconds ago. If that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course... Uh, Poor old uh, Ken buys the farm, and uh, George takes the samurai sword from the mannequin in the lobby. Ken begs him to do this. Yeah, it's kind of a painfully bad acting scene. Because Ken, at the beginning of the movie, was admiring the samurai sword and the dirt bike, and you you get the impression that Ken has been like, 
like he's been waiting his whole life to be killed by a samurai sword. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, kill me, but use this. I don't want to be a demon. Yeah. Uh, this is around the time uh, one of my favorite shots in the movie happens, and it's where they're like kind of in a hallway, and there's like this Dario Gento blue light kind of emerging from the from like a staircase that's going up. And the demons start walking up, and their eyes are glowing. And it's oh, such yeah. a great eerie effect. It's so spooky. I, I just love that shot. And I think they did it with... Um, they had they didn't put contact lenses on the actors. They had like their eyes closed. And they painted their eyelids with the gold paint. Or a special paint that would reflect the, the lights really well. That's really cool. It's very, very inventive, you know. The, the, the great horror movies made around this time that relied on practical effects... You know, they came up with uh, things on the fly like that. Really simple, cheap effects, but they look great. And it's such a cool image that it's what they used for the poster. Yeah, it uh, it almost looks like they were... It was sh- uh, filmed in, like, kind of an odd frame rate because they're kind of walking up almost in slow motion. It's just to make it look extra spooky. It's such a great shot. Love it. And this, uh, this of course, leads into the probably the craziest scene in the movie this is where it kind of turns into an action film uh which we love (laughs) because uh you know a lot of zombie films this kind of qualifies as zombie film Uh, a lot of them are action films Mm -hmm. because it's like you got to slice your way or shoot your way through you know hordes of bad guys it's it's a lot there's a lot more running involved because I think that's why so many people fantasize nowadays about like the zombie apocalypse. Cause you can get away with mass murder. You could, you could, and you know, I think there, I think there really is something to the idea of zombie movies essentially being action films too, which is that like unlike slasher films where characters get their chance, they get their scene and they're probably gonna die. Like yeah. in zombie movies, ideally we're sticking with these people the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um. They usually stick together in groups a lot better than in slashers. As the hallmark of slashers is, you know, don't let's not split up. And that happens several times in this movie for no reason too. Like crowds are dispersing and then like a random person will see the crowd going this way and they'll just run into another room and get killed by a demon for no reason. Well, <laughs> they do it well because it's like not everyone runs as fast. They're kind of running as a group and sticking together for the most part. But people get picked off here and there by some of the other demons, and then they become other demons. <laughs> but uh, here we have the scene of George on his motorcycle with a samurai sword and Kathy. Uh, no, no, sorry, Kathy. No, no, Kathy no Cheryl, the, Cheryl, Cheryl, Cheryl on the back. Uh, yeah. Samurai sword, Cheryl on the back, and he is just riding this motorcycle on top of theater seats. Yeah, and it is such a badass scene because it's scored to uh, accepts fast as a shark. It's a scene that's just so metal. Uh, I, I remember one of the first times I watched this movie, it was with a bunch of metal heads, and they get they just lost their shit. They couldn't handle it. <laughs> they loved it so much. And it's so funny, because what could be more metal than a guy in a polo shirt? <laughs> well, by this time, he has, like, the sleeves turned off. You can tell he's in a little, at least better shape than poor old skinny Kim. He's kind of supposed to be our Ash. Yeah, he's kind of a, a poor man's Ash. There's no there's there's no real charm to him other than that he survived this long. You can call him Euro Ash at this point. <laughs> yes. And so yeah, he's just riding this motorcycle on top of seats and just chopping demons apart with a samurai sword as he rides past. It's kind of perfect because they can't 
he can't catch up with him. He just kind of runs around chopping him. And then he runs over some ghouls and and then I think, I, I think one of its one of their arms gets stuck in the spokes of the motorcycle. Yeah, I think it's like their fingers, and then he just like revs up the motor, and the fingers get cut off. <laughs> it's it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, it it's the highlight of the film. It's so cool. I I, I love that part. It, it's oh man, it's so fun. And it and it continues until he wrecks the motorcycle. Yeah. Well, he still after he wrecks it, he still gets a chance to just kind of chop up all the other ghouls a little bit. And then there's a there's a little brief respite. And then a helicopter falls through the ceiling. Yes, it just falls straight down <laughs> through the ceiling of the of the theater. And it's a great what? That's another what the fuck moment that you know, the last 20 minutes or so of this movie are just full of those. Um, and that's kind of their way out. They, apparently, I guess, George is really good with grapple hooks, and he's done it before. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> there's like a grappling hook, gun, and like cable on the helicopter. He immediately knows how to use. Had I been George, I would have been, oh, I'm so fucked, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Um, I never passed that rope climbing. Yeah, climbing this is not before they use the uh, the helicopter blades to chop up some of the other demons. But the, the the blades are very slow moving. Yeah, and I, I remember Bava on the cover just like, oh, the demons, they're so stupid. Because <laughs> <laughs> they keep walking to the helicopter and getting chopped up. <laughs> these blades are moving at like three miles per hour. <laughs> I guess they're big and sharp enough to... Chop some heads off, slice guts open. Well, I wouldn't want to go near a helicopter blade anyway. But I know. <laughs> it's... I guess the demons don't care. They don't have yeah, a they... sense of mortality. They're just senselessly trying to hurt people. Yeah. Uh... They they climb to the ceiling and Metal Face is there. Yeah. Who else is on top of the? Who's on the roof of the movie theater other than Metal Ghoul Man? The star of the film. Yeah. Um, the catalyst, uh, and they have kind of a little scuffle, and then they like shove his head face first into some uh, rebarb, which is uh, it, it is again so Italian. It's very Mario Bava. It's very Lucio Fulci. There's just that lingering shot of like them slowly pressing his his eye down into this rebarb. Yeah, uh, not as painful as the stick in the eye from Zombie Two, the Fulci film. Oh the, man, that's so excruciating. Oh, that's so Italian. That's such that's perfect Italian. I, I, even Italians though, love to watch Eye Suffers. Yeah, Bob even says in the commentary, it's he took it right out of one of his dad's movies. There you go. He didn't say which one, but he said, "Oh, I'm, you know, this is a Mario Bava thing." Knowing, knowing Mario Bava, I'm sure he did that more than once. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> this is the man that threw a woman into a spiked coffin or something. The masterpiece, uh, Black Sunday. My my favorite Baba film. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we this kind of just leads them to seeing that the that the like the dream they had of escaping the theater is now a nightmare. The whole the whole the whole of Rome has been infested by demons. Or Rome Lynn, we'll call because yeah, Rome Lynn. It's funny. This is like. Uh, nationality ambiguous you've got kind of the black american pimp the extremely european teenagers some people are really italian and then they're in berlin angry american slash german punks yeah hot dog and <laughs> baby, baby. <kid. laughs> 
Yeah, you see that the world has gone to hell and that this infection has spread all over the city. And the... It's actually kind of a nice little post-apocalyptic sequence. Like, they, there's a there's a shot I love where they're walking down the street and we see, like, we're, we're kind of looking through a fence at them and the demons just hit the fence really hard. Yeah, um, I love it. There's a little bit of fire going on. They did as much as they could with the budget they had. Um, to make it look post-apocalyptic, I think they did a good job. They just showed you what you need to show. There's no like kind of like uh, really kind of massive wide shot of like all of Berlin in flames because they, no. they they couldn't afford it and they didn't need it. They didn't need it. It, it gives you no, a great they, idea because the we, like the helicopter falling through the ceiling is just such a great scene. And we see we see like you know through a few people's windows like as they're banging their windows screaming for help and a demon just pulls them back into the house or something. Yeah, it's so cool. I love it. And uh, Cheryl and George run into, like, uh, a dad and his two children who are armed to the teeth. In their Jeep. In their Jeep. <laughs> and they kind of pick him up and ride off. And A little uh, a little 10-year-old blonde boy with his shotgun. The girl with a pistol. And they got a, another bag of guns with them, too. And that's where, that's the end of the movie. Or is it? <laughs> Yeah, Kathy Kathy sustains a small scratch on the back of her head that she just notices. Turns, roars, thriller style. The 10-year-old boy shoots her immediately. They dump her out, and it's over. (laughs) Yeah, George Lonely looks mildly disappointed. I mean, he did just meet this girl. But they were already holding hands. I know. She was so pretty. They'd been through some stuff. (laughs) Yeah. He was, um, he was hoping she would play some bar talk for him later. Yeah, and the movie gives you a point that, or it gives you the feeling that okay, it's really the end of the world, I guess. It's like these could be the last people in in uh, Berlin, Berome, or whatever. Of course, as we learn from Demons Two. <laughs> Demons Two, which is shot probably less than a year later, after this film. Uh, Apparently it is a direct sequel because the character George comes back, played by a different actor. He's married now to some. He's married now to somebody. Uh, the world has moved on, <laughs> but but the, they they do a t- television dramatization of demons, and a demon comes out of a television and it starts over. It looks very videodromish because the like the screen of the TV bulges like the uh, kind of the cancer gun in that movie did. Or the, or the 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 uh, Debbie Harry lips. And I think I think to me like the the demon popping out of the TV in Demons Two kind of says it all about Lumberto Bava. Like it doesn't really the story the reasons behind things don't really matter. He just really wants to get to that next scene. He wants to get to it, and he wants to do something kind of fun and cool. Yeah, if, if the, the crazier the better. I, I, I just want to show a guy get his throat ripped open, and I want to show a guy on a noose catch somebody like a spider. Yeah, um, and for as little of a plot uh, and character development as this film has, I'd still rather watch it than, like, a Michael Bay movie. Mm. And I'm not entirely sure why, because even a Michael Bay movie might have a little more plot than this one. It, It's like there's not as much stupidity. I mean, there is, because it's so silly, the idea of the demons in the theater. But, it, but it's more fun. I... It's more I have pure. A theory, I have a theory of movies, and that and that is like I am perfectly willing to accept a, an an amazing movie, and I'm willing to accept an awful movie, but I hate a mediocre movie. 
Um, and and it, you know, and there's cases where like I will judge a movie like this based on its plot if I feel like it's really aspiring to have a good plot and failing. Yeah, that was but, never the movie's intention. Yeah. No, it never it never tries to be a movie that's like about ideas or have a plot. It's just it's just them wanting to show off these makeup effects they've made. Um, and have like great scare scenes. You know. Yeah. That that's how uh, even John Carpenter said he built up how the original Halloween. He said, well, you know, I had these ideas for scares with, you know, a teenage girl in a house. And then I put, like, a little bit of a story before that. And see, here we go. We have we have demons in a theater. Yeah, it, that's it's, it. it's or evil dead in a theater. It's very evil dead. It, it's survival horror. Um, any fan of zombie movies, I think this is a, an essential. Not quite a zombie film, but it's a zombie film enough. Oh yeah, I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna have a, a screenings of Italian horror, I think this is definitely one you can throw on your list. Yeah, this is one of the goriest ones. Um, this is right up there with some of the gorier works of Fulci, or you know, an Argento himself. This is right up there with. Uh, and this came after Argento helped make Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. So, well, if you think about it, it wasn't that much earlier. That was what seventy eight, seventy nine. So this, I mean, this is eighty five. Yeah. So it's a little bit of time. Not, not that much, really. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is the... It still is the Citizen Kane of zombie films. It's the one that just set the bar. And what, Even more than Night of the Living Dead. I mean, Night of the Living Dead introduces that sort of cannibal zombie idea. Night of the Living Dead is like a really great student film. It is. But, but Dawn of the Dead is like the movie everybody's still copying. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when I originally watched Dawn of the Dead... And it blew my mind. This is before the zombie craze we are now in really erupted. I saw it, like, right before... I was in high school, and it was right before uh, 28 Days Later came out, which is the movie that reignited the love for these films. Oh, yes. And, you know, uh, just the new ones, you know, Shaun of the Dead, so on and so forth. There's a lot of good work being done. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Evil Dead... Yeah. um... um, we, We both saw the new one. We did, and we don't really want to dedicate a whole episode to it. We can kind of briefly touch upon it. Uh, I overall enjoyed it. Overall enjoyed it. It ends on a strong note. Like, the last 20 minutes are really good, especially. Um, I... I Okay, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think the movie has a fantastic setup. Um, I really enjoy... How they sort of introduced... Okay... This is a problem in a lot of horror movies where somebody, like one of the characters will start seeing things in the woods and no one will believe them. This movie has a very believable setup for that where the, like the, the, lead, the lead character we're supposed to care about is a junkie who is trying to go cold turkey, but she's done this before and she's lied to her friends and she keeps backsliding and relapsing into drug abuse. Mm-hmm. So... This time, they're, they're just, they've decided they're going to keep her in this cabin no matter what she says and no matter what she does. And so when she starts telling them, oh, I got attacked by a tree and, oh, I'm, I'm seeing demons in the woods, like nobody believes her because that, nope. that just sounds like crazy junkie talk. Uh, it's like her and her brother and a couple of friends, they open up the book or kind of the nerdier friend opens up the, the book of the dead. He looks like he's modeled himself after Stephen King. Yeah, I don't think that's an accident either. Um, the movie, 
in many ways, and the filmmaker kind of alluded to this, is that it's maybe not really a remake. Maybe the yeah. Book of the Dead found its way back into the cabin, and there's new owners. Like, these things keep happening. Yeah, and it's it's very believable uh, in that respect. There's some great gore effects in it, too. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do want to praise that. Like, I... I'm not going to spoil it right now because, I mean, unlike Demons, which has been around for 27 years, like this just came out. So I kind of want to give people a chance to see it. But I do have some issues with some of the story choices. Uh, Uh, The the characters themselves aren't really likable. There's no Ash-like character you can really love. Um, But as far as the gore effects go, most of the good ones were unfortunately given away in the Red Band trailer. They released a you know several months prior, but some fantastic dismemberment sequences. Yeah, all done allegedly, which I believe, by uh, by practical effects. Um, The director studied uh, magician's tricks, you know how to do like a severed arm. There's a great scene where a deadite slices her tongue open. It's really nasty. It's really Evil Dead. Yeah. There's there's a couple really just gruesome scenes of arms being chopped off. Yeah. The movie more or less follows the patterns of the original, and then it kind of does its own thing slightly at the end. Yeah. Um, but it, it feels kind of anticlimactic in a way. Um, is it worth seeing? Sure. Absolutely. It, maybe not a buy. I'd say buy it- Demons. It's a rental for me. Yeah, uh, it's a rental for me too. But I, I bought Demons, so I have to say Demons is a buy. Same but, here. Uh, uh, Demons was a blind buy for me actually. I became aware of this film because uh, I think Bravo had like the scariest movie list, and they had a couple of horror aficionados go, "Oh yeah, Demons '85." Awesome. Oh yeah, I remember that. And I was going, "Demons? I've never heard of this shit." And well, and and you screened it for me, and that's how I saw it yep. initially. So that was it actually is, one of the, I think it was one of the first screenings we did together. Yeah. This is a perfect movie to watch with your buddies on a nice big TV. Hopefully, a Blu-ray will come out in the not too distant future. I mean, I think Ooh. there's an Italian Blu-ray, but that doesn't count. Maybe maybe somebody like Scream Factory can pick it up and. Yeah, because uh, this was an Anchor Bay DVD. I think I guess we have the same one. Um, yeah. And from what I know, in the last few years, they've lost the rights to most of their horror films. Hellraiser, Evil Dead, Day, uh, Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead, which was picked up by Scream Factory. Kudos to them. Looking forward to that release, because they oh, put man. out great releases. And just just on that topic, they're doing great work right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they put a lot of love into their into their uh, remastering and like the packaging. And they're, they're just getting some fantastic stuff. I mean, The Howling, uh, Toby Hooper's Life Force, The Fog. Uh, they just announced Prince of Darkness is coming. Even uh, for you kung fu movie fans like uh, like us, um, put out some of the lesser-known Jackie Chan movies. Oh, yeah. Shout Factory has just been on point with that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, they're going to put out, like, a huge Bruce Lee set. Like, book. It says, like, a booklet to it and everything. But, uh, but I mean, I... So... Demons, strong recommend uh, if you love sort of cheesy gore fests. Uh, Evil Dead, mild recommend from me. I, I enjoy yeah. the gore effects. Um, the story is not really as fun. And by the way, don't let anybody overhype Bruce Campbell's cameo for you. 
it's kind of a letdown, and it's about as little effort as anyone could put into a cameo as possible. I mean that in every regard. <laughs> if if you expected a joke or something, or you know something that sort of ties the movies together, you're not going to get anything like that. You're going to get a one-liner, and you're out. <laughs> yep. A one-worder, really. <laughs> it's a one-worder. I think we just spoiled it. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? It's not that great anyways. It's nice to hear it again, though. Sure. It's nice to hear it. <laughs> but with well, that said, what... yep. uh, do we have anything more to cover? No. So, I mean, with that said, uh, well, I've got a one-word for you. Uh, good night. <laughs> good night. Hope you all enjoyed it. This has been Bloodbath and Beyond. We'll see you all again. Cody. I'm Casey Mitchum. Good night. Good night, y'all. <laughs>